Good evening to our neighbors and listeners. We are coming to you live from the 215 here in Germantown. You are listening to the award-winning InfoHub Hour with Rashida Jamu, a.k.a. Philly's Freedom Join. The InfoHub Hour is all about news and engagement in Germantown. To check out what's going on, you can visit our website at germantowninfohub.org. And while Maleka isn't here with us today, we will get to hear an interview that she did for this week's show. Now let's get to it. It's April, which means that it's not only spring, but it's also National Poetry Month. As you know, Germantown has a very rich history and presence of poets. Not one, not two, but three of Philadelphia's poet laureates have called Germantown their home one time or another. Those names are Trapita Mason, Yolanda Wisher, and Sonia Sanchez. And over the summer, poet and artist Ursula Rucker was recognized by the mural arts program and was put on a mural in front of Maplewood Mall. Germantown's literary roots run very deep. And who better than to discuss poetry and the like than with the founder of the Black Writers Museum, the only museum of its kind in the nation, Supreme Dow. While she's not here with us today again, Maleka sat down with Supreme Dow to pick his brain around the cultural significance of poetry. And guess what? That is coming up right now. So let's roll the tape. Welcome, Supreme Dow. We're so glad we're, that you are joining us today. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm glad you're doing something about um, a celebration of National Poetry Month. Yes. So I'm glad to participate. You know, we love poetry over here at Germantown Info Hub, and uh, we knew that it was National Poetry Month and we wanted to check in with you. So I was really curious because you founded and created the Black Writers Museum. I wanted to know who your personal favorites, favorite poets of all time were. Uh, of course, I have a few um, and they cover different generations. Uh, but one of my uh, favorite poets, uh, like many others, uh, is uh, Langston Hughes. Mm. Um, he's a poet from the Harlem Renaissance era, and he wrote through through the 60s, through the Black Arts Movement. And then uh, another one of my favorite poets is uh, Mary Baraka, uh, who was particularly uh, one of the co-architects of the Black Arts Movement uh, during the Civil Rights era in the uh, 60s and 70s. And then I have a favorite poet who wrote during both of those periods. Oh, and that's Gwendolyn Brooks. Uh, she was the first uh, black woman, I think woman to win the Pulitzer Prize. And um, she has a particular poem that's one of my, uh, if not the, but one of my favorite poems. So, I, you know, I, I'm a, I love poetry. I write poetry. And so um, I've read poetry um, since I can remember, since I was old enough to read or able to read. Uh, I've participated in reading poetry, writing poetry. Even in the early 90s, in 1992, I published a uh, poetry magazine called Poetry Plus. I had no idea. So you are definitely a fan of poetry. What are some of the poetry collections that you just continue to go back to when you just need uh, to have some poetry in your life? Uh, what there? Listen, um, there's just a, a, a breadth and real depth of, of poets, of Philadelphia poets, um, poets all across the country. But I, I like to read the, um, well, the Harlem Renaissance poetry was really great. County Cullen and um, 
Langston Hughes, of course, um, like, like I mentioned, uh, Gwendolyn Brooks. And so a lot of that poetry uh, was, well, Black folks in America were starting to come into their own and start to recognize the significance and, the, and America started to recognize the value in Black culture and the Black aesthetic. And so the writers during the Harlem Renaissance were moving into that. It was just the turn of the century and the 20th century. And so a lot of their poetry actually contained some really, really prideful and gave you a significant picture of what it was to be Black in America, particularly considering our history here in America, but also relating specifically to our roots in Africa. So I, I love to read the um, Black Arts Movement poetry, but of course the, 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 I mean, excuse me, the Harlem Renaissance poetry, but of course the Black Arts Movement poetry. Um, I was born and uh, was living during that time. And so the poets, you know, from, you know, Nikki Giovanni, Sonia Sanchez, and uh, Mary Baraka and Askia Torre, just poets from that era. I love, I, I always go back to their poetry and use that to energize me, keep me motivated to do the work that I do. That's right. And uh, Supreme, is there any poetry that's exciting you nowadays? Um, uh, when you speak of poetry nowadays, we uh, a lot of the poetry that I've listened to is more um, spoken word. And so a lot of it is um, body language as well as words. And so we say all poetry is spoken word, but all spoken word ain't necessarily poetry. Mm. So a lot of what we have now is a, a lot of um, spoken word. But there are there are poets that are still around and, and that are really, really active. You know, we have a poet laureate of Philadelphia. We just spoke about Trapeza Mason and we have some poets that are significant to Germantown, but also Philadelphia um, as, as well, and the, the, the country. I do think, though, that we need to really begin to integrate more poetic stanzas and, and more standard poetry hmm. um, nowadays. Then, um, and, and I'm a fan of spoken word. I mean, I do spoken word. I, I, for instance, I love the uh, last poets who did poetry, uh, but it was also spoken word. And so that's another group, for instance, that I go back and I, I uh, listen to their poetry. Um, so poetry now, I think, is still is, is screaming quietly. And uh, we must continue to scream and talk loud and speak up. And poetry is, a, is, an, is an art form, I think, that is um, our poets are like philosophers. And it's the uh, someone said uh, poetry is the highest form of philosophy. And so oh, I, like I, I think it's real. Yeah, I think it's really, really important to consistently um, seek out and give give uh, voice to the poets of every particular era. Yes. And I also like the the term screaming quietly. That's good. Yeah. It encapsulates it definitely encapsulates a certain kind of mood that certain that uh, some poetry really, really has. And you yeah. were just mentioning that uh, the poets from Philadelphia are there poets that people you, you think people should know about that are from Philly or maybe even from Germantown? You know, for example, uh, I did not know that Tony K. Bambara used to live in Germantown. I know she's not a poet. Well, actually, did she write poetry? Well, I know she write, wrote fiction and I had no yeah, idea that she lived in the area at one point. Yeah, um, Germantown is a really unique part of the, the nation, not just unique part of Philadelphia, of course, of the historic value and relationship to the Revolutionary War and the Battle of Germantown and, you know, Philadelphia being, uh, you know, and George Washington staying here, but particularly Black poets 
uh, African-American poetry. So we have some poets here who really um, have spent their probably a childhood and adult life writing poetry. Uh, you know, uh, Runette Ebo comes to mind, a native Germantowner, and she has, she, she continues to write poetry. She does workshops for children and you can find her, you know, you can Google her. One of her poems was, um, I think it was the, uh, I, I hope I get the name of the poem right. It's a really, really well-known poet that is actually quoted all throughout and read throughout the United States. And it's, at times it said anonymous at the bottom, but actually it was Runette. Uh, Neil wow. Ebo, that's called uh, God, Why'd You Make Me Black? Hmm. And it is just a beautiful piece uh, that celebrates the the uh, the essence of, of being black in America, but being black, period. And so um, that's a really, really powerful poem, uh, Victoria Purefoy. They're just poets throughout, um, and they like to call themselves the, uh, um, they're like a combination of poems, poets. Those those two uh, young women and they're they're they they are they write poignant poetry that not only talks about the 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 beauty of life and living and what we go through um, uh, in our communities, but also it, it speaks to um, the struggle of 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 the African American. And so I I think a lot of our poetry has to be my view about poetry is when I do poetry workshops is that poetry has to be at uh, three dimensional. So you, you you can't you can write about how things are, but there has to be some dimension in it um, and some some redemption in it. Uh, so there has to be some some value in the struggle, but also where the potential in this struggle and where we'll end up, as opposed to just saying you know oh things are really just so bad for us as a people because in every community there are circumstances where folks aren't doing well. You know, uh, that's just the nature of, of human life. And so we can talk about that all day, but we have to talk about the redemption, the redemptive value and and the beauty of overcoming and, and the potential of beauty within our circumstance. And so poets in Germantown like Runette and Victoria and others do just that. I love the way you encapsulated that, the three dimensions and uh it's it's the way I actually view um, community journalism as well. That it's not it can't just have the it can't just uh, present the problem. It needs to present a solution too. It needs to Absolutely. present how solutions work, how they don't work, just ways that people can just see like different a different journey. And poetry is that is that art form. It, it is, and it's um, it, poetry allows you the the room to express yourself in in ways that typical or standard literary work doesn't because in standard literature and journalism, you have a, a, a particular um, standard and formalized format. Poetry gives you that freedom to actually speak your mind and use, you know, hence the term poetic license, right? You know, um, uh, to use the English language and to use the words, the sounds uh, and definitions that you can create on the on the go, as long as you have the contextual clues that bring forth an understanding. So poetry has to have length, width, and depth. It has to be three-dimensional because if anything's one-dimensional, I call that flatlined. And when you flatline, you're dead. Mm -hmm. So so we want to have some length, some width, and some depth. And so with that, um, you can really, poetry can take you around the world like other literature, you know, and that's why I love literature. And that's why I came up with the uh, founded the Black Writers Museum because literature gives you a chance to travel 
sitting in your seat. Uh, you can travel the world. You can travel the mind and, and go into the imagination of others just sitting in, uh, prone in your seat. And that's the beauty of literature and, and uh, hence the beauty of poetry. Well, that's the perfect segue. You founded the Black Writers Museum. It's, I believe, the first Black Writers Museum in the, in the nation. Yes? Yeah. And I, as, as we know, as of yet, it's the only Black Writers Museum in the nation. We have... Um, cultural institutions and cultural museums, of course. Um, and we have libraries, but there's no museum specifically developed to celebrate, explore, and uh, provide sacred space uh, for Black literature. Yes. And we are honored that Germantown is the location for it. Now, it's been a rough couple years. It's it has. For everybody in so many different ways, in, in all the three-dimensional ways. Yeah, speaking and, about three dimensions, right? <laughs> right. And um, I was wondering, since these restrictions have opened up a bit, and uh, now it's spring of 2022, what are some visions that you see as the founder of Black Writers Museum for the rest of this year? Well, we're, we're really um, happy to be able to open publicly again. Um, we went online a little, and I, I guess um, the Black Rise Museum, as well as other institutions, um, re recognized over these last two years that um, you have to have a significant digital and online presence. Right. So we had to kind of bolster uh, that presence uh, because I, I guess a lot of folks got caught flat-footed when the economy and the city and the state and the country just shut down. And because we're, we are um, housed at the historic Vernon house, a, a, a house that was built in the 1700s, late 1700s, and under the auspices of the cities, the city of Philadelphia and the Parks and Recreations Department, we had to go according to, and we, I welcome going according to the, the city health department and the CDC guidelines. So we're just opening up wholly uh, to the public uh, this month in April. And so we're looking forward to, um, you know, we have tours scheduled for next week. And uh, we have a group of um, students coming from the James Baldwin School in Manhattan in New York that, that are come down. This will be their second second class trip to the Black Rise Museum. So we look forward to the activities of the students. We have a, a tour and talk where we, when, um, teachers or schools will call and mention a specific subject. And we'll build a mini exhibit around that subject. So they'll get to, get to tour the museum, but also get to um, see um, uh, an exhibit that's based upon their topic, you know, topic of discussion within their class. Oh, and then so we are, uh, yeah, and then, so it's, it's like yeah, a la carte kind of. And so yeah. we, we build those exhibits and then they come and we tour and then we sit down and we have a discussion about it and, and uh, talk in depth to, to the extent that we can. And uh, so we're looking forward to doing that again, those tour and talks and looking forward to getting senior centers and seniors to come by. And uh, we're looking forward to our uh, annual People's Poetry and Jazz Festival, which is the uh, third Saturday of every August. This is be our ninth annual it's on August 20th this year. And so where we bring a diverse and intergenerational crowd out into Vernon Park, you know about it. And um, we just celebrate community. You know, we celebrate community with arts and culture and we have vendors and we have uh, entertainment and uh, we have a community congregation. And so we're really looking forward to to that uh, once again and and getting to to share some space and time with others um, with 
you know, with some um, responsible distance and, and mask wearing uh, as we move into this next segment of, of this COVID-19 pandemic. Yes. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing seeing the museum open again and seeing everything active again. And I'm glad that everything was able to to continue to survive and um, and uh, and thrive. Is there anything else you want to tell folks about with the Black Writers Museum or anything else? Well, people can always to to uh, inquire about during the tour. We're doing all tours by um, appointment. We're open to the general public on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday from 11 to, to, to 3. And uh, we're open on Tuesdays and Wednesdays by appointment only. So if you call and have a, a class that needs to do a class trip on those particular days, we will accommodate you. Sat Sunday and Monday, we're closed. Uh, I'm, I'm in here. We're, we're, you know, during the work that we do to, to make sure that we're, we, we function at a high level. Uh, so you can go on the, the, the website, which is BlackRisingMuseum.com, or you can give us a call at 267-297-3078. And uh, also, you can just come by and visit. And if we don't have a tour schedule and we have a moment, we'll, we'll of course, welcome you in on uh, Thursday, Friday or Saturday and um, uh, give you give you a, a tour to the extent that we can at that particular point in time. So we're, we're glad that we're open. We're glad that we're uh, with other institutions in historic Germantown where we, we work with a group of historic Germantowners. It's a um, like an umbrella organization that. Um, puts together all of the historic properties and programs along the Germantown Avenue corridor where you have national historic landmarks from the Mount Airy through Nicetown. And so we're, we're all working together. We're still doing second Saturdays. We just look forward to continue to engage our communities in, uh, in the digital space online as well as in person. That is wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today, Supreme Dale. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Wish you the best. Once again, that was Supreme Dow in conversation with our very own Maleka. When we come back, you'll hear about a community group in our neighborhood putting weight behind the word reparations for black neighbors in Germantown. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Since the 2020 uprisings, we've witnessed a rise in mutual aid in this city and across the nation. Mutual aid is when people of a community work cooperatively to meet the needs of everyone within that community. So in Germantown, we've watched the emergence of the community fridges, funds that have helped others pay their bills and some other projects. But one word we don't hear much activity around is reparations. Reparations in layman's terms are an acknowledgement and the repairing of damage done by human rights violations. An example of this is the Civil Liberties Act of 1988, when President Reagan offered an apology and a $20,000 check to about 100,000 descents of Japanese folks who were imprisoned in concentration camps during World War II. Right now, a black task force in California is trying to figure out how the state should acknowledge and repair the wrongdoings of slavery in the United States. And here in our very own neighborhood, the Green Street Friends have their very own reparations committee that is spearheading a new project that right now will benefit black homeowners. Now, let's welcome members and Quakers, Afroza and Lucy, to the Info Hub Hour to talk about it. 
So welcome to the Info Hub Hour. It is really good to be talking with both of you today. So how about you both just introduce yourselves for folks? Hi, I'm Lucy Duncan. Um, I'm a member of Green Street Meeting and a member of the Reparations Committee. And um, I also am um, a Truth and Reparations Education Fellow for the Truth Telling Project. And I am the co-chair of the Mayor's Commission on Faith-Based and Interfaith Affairs, which has a big reparations um, campaign that we're doing. So, um, but, but I'm here representing Green Street right now. Hi, I'm Afroza Hussein. My pronouns are she and hers. I'm a member of Green Street Monthly Meeting as well and part of the Reparation Committee. I am the um, Inclusion Belonging Coordinator at Philadelphia Yearly Meeting, which is the, the broader umbrella of the Quaker organization in the area. Um, I am um, coming up to be one of the commissioners for the Citizens um, Oversight Police Commission that the city is putting together. I am uh, one of the grantee members of the Racial and Economic Fund for Bread and Roses. And um, I recently became a co-chair of the Feminist Bird Club in Philly. If anybody wants to go on a birding uh, event, <laughs> the birding, the Feminist Birding Club, uh, we are queer and feminist aligned uh, birding club open to folks of all color and class and stuff in Philadelphia. So, uh, but I'm also here representing the Reparation Committee for the Green Street uh, Monthly Meeting right now. I love that you both are really busy. It sounds like things that I'm very familiar with. So you all are definitely connected. Um, do you both live in Germantown? I live in Germantown. I just bought a house here a year and a half, two years ago. Oh, and I live in King Sessing, but I travel to Germantown because Green Street is the best. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. Um, so I came across some so I came across some promotional materials about maybe a month ago. And that introduced me to this program. And so it caught my attention immediately because of the language and the purpose, right? And so I saw reparations in the group name, and then I saw the language around sustaining Black home ownership. And so since you are a part of the Green Street Meeting Reparations Committee, could you just first tell us about the meeting itself and what that is? And then could you elaborate on the function of the Reparations Committee? Um, I can talk about Green Street Monthly Meeting if Lucy want to talk about the Reparation Committee, so we can talk about it both. Uh, Green Street Monthly Meeting is the local uh, Quaker meeting. We meet on Sundays for silent worship as is a Quaker uh, tradition. There's a lot of other meetings. Philadelphia is very rich in Quaker history and Quaker organizations, so we're a block over from Germantown Monthly Meeting. <laughs> um, but um, Green Street has a rich history of wanting to do racial repair for our neighbors in Germantown. And the reparations project came out of that desire over discernment over a couple of years. And um, Lucy can talk about the reparation committee, but um, I think Green Street as it exists, we want to be very aligned with our Quaker faith of you know, um, justice, social justice is really important. Environmental justice is really important to us. Solidarity with the uh, all folks because the spirit is in all of us so yeah and uh green street is um one of if not the most integrated um quaker meetings in the country um it's uh, i mean there's there's ujima which is a black quaker meeting in philly but this is also but but in terms of a multiracial faith space uh green street is probably one of the most most um 
multiracial, um, certainly in Philadelphia. And then um, um, the, the reparations committee grew out of after uh, in 2014, we started to have very intentional conversations about racism at the meeting. Um, and um, after um, for because of Black Lives Matter and because of the uprisings that were happening. And that led into, and then we um, discovered that we had a lot of resources, that we had a lot of financial reserves. And that led us to like look at that and think about, well, what, how is, what, how, how is our use of our money in line with who we think of ourselves and who we wanna be? Um, and so out of that emerged the reparations committee. And um, we tried a couple of projects. We tried looking for some projects and proposed those to the meeting. And we realized that wasn't the way to go. We needed the meeting to commit to reparations and commit resources before we figured out what we did, we're gonna do. And so the reparations committee um, um, presented in, uh, in May and June, um, excuse me, there's, there's street bikes going by. Um, the, the reparations committee presented um, some education about what reparations was. And we partnered, we um, 12 members of the meeting took the grassroots reparations campaign uh, course on reparations. And so we had a lot more people who knew what we were talking about. Um, and uh, we educated the meeting about what reparations was and how to budget for reparations. Um, and then in June, the meeting committed to $50,000 a year for 10 years towards reparations. And with the commitment that the black members of the meeting would get to determine the use of those funds. So that's how we ended up where we are. And, and we had um, uh, Gabrielle James is a real housing expert. They thought about a lot of things, a lot of things that they may do over the 10 years, but the, we settled on this need for securing housing wealth um, for black Germantown homeowners. And that's how the legal clinics emerged. I think the gentrification has become very obvious in Germantown and there is a lot of development happening and um, it is not keeping, you know, with, um, with a lot of gentrification where it's usually people of color and black folks who are displaced first. So I think one of the first commitments that the reparation committee wanted to make in our early years, because it will be a 10 year project and there will be other projects we do that are about reparations and our reparations. But the first project we thought would be a really essential thing right now in the context of what's happening in Germantown is to make sure that black homeowners in Germantown can keep their wealth, which in the form of housing is a big wealth for most BIPOC folks, not just black folks. But uh, because Germantown is majority black, that is like the commitment we made. And um, there's been a lot of like work around that to the legal clinics. We had to, unfortunately, because of Omicron, do them virtually since January. And next weekend, Saturday, April 16th, will be our first in-person clinic at the German, at the, excuse me, at the Green Street Monthly Meeting Meeting House. So we'll have lawyers there. We're trying to make sure that we will have all the necessary means there. Like, you know, we're trying to right now um, make sure that we can get uh, somebody who can do, um, the paperwork filing and everything and all of the uh, reparations committee member or most of us will be there in person to help you navigate if you show up and you live in Germantown and you have a house you have tangled titled or you want to write up a will or you want to make sure that your paperwork is in um, 
you know, it's uh, it's good so you don't have to worry about who is going to inherit your house or is a developer going to come in and like try to take it over. We are there to help you with it. And we have the funds and we have the commitment and the lawyers whom we have uh, committed to this project to know all these things so they can, you know, offer their expertise to our Germantown neighbors. Right. And we, and, and as we were doing, getting ready for this, we really did research on tangled titles and there is, there is so many millions of dollars. I think a billion dollars of, of wealth is, is um, caught up in tangled titles, which is a t- that title that ha- is the owner, it is not that the house is not in the owner's name for various reasons. And so this is, this is also a crisis um, of ensuring that happens. And, and if, if a homeowner has fines or uh, taxes and doesn't, and the deed isn't clear, then that makes it more likely that they're going to get predatory developers coming in and taking the house. We also are intending to use some of the funds that we have on a case by case basis to uh, make that available to pay past fines possibly or past taxes so that people can clear the, the, the way to being um, to, to holding their wealth. Yeah, I think our goal is to make sure that the deed of the house that you live in belongs to you and whatever obstacles are in your way, we will try to help you with that, whether it's back taxes or the deed was in your grandmother's name and you don't know where it is right now. Or like, I mean, that's what tangled title means. And it's not a surprise that Philadelphia, which is the only major U.S. city that is majority, you know, minority, has the most tangled titles. And developers know this. And this is a very predatory thing. And if we can even do our small part in making sure that we can help our Germantown neighbors with that, it could hopefully become a model for others to go forward because this is a real tangible way to make sure that gentrification doesn't change your neighborhood for the worse. Thank you both for laying so much of that out, because I think that that's something that doesn't get talked about enough. The idea that there is an overwhelming majority of Tangled Title, specifically in a city where there is like a majority of minority, right? So thank you for that. And then it's just really fascinating to hear about a group like this again. So I'm from Germantown, um, native Germantowner here. And so being Black and seeing the aftermath of uprisings, right, from like 2020 specifically, I feel like I've seen so much more mutual aid amongst the folks in the communities. Um, and whereas though, I feel like this group of people, specifically the Germantown, um, Germantown, I mean, Green Street Friends meeting, it's like you're taking a term like reparations and you're making it more than just a buzzword, right? Because a lot of times I see the term reparations thrown around, But then it's just like Black people helping Black people. And I'm like, that's not reparations, right? (laughs) Um, And so your group is actually making it a real practice. And so I guess we've talked a lot about what it is you're doing, but we haven't talked about what reparations actually is. And so I would love if, you know, you both could just talk about what reparations is and why that work specifically is so important to what it is that you're doing. Yeah, I'd, I'll start, and I'm sure Froza has will have more to say. The the um, in our view, reparations is really um, making right on um, on a debt from the harms of slavery and its afterlives, um, and 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 really and and there are different reparations. It's actually kind of a technical term. Like usually, when you pay reparations, you're paying directly to the people that you harmed. So what we're doing is more reparative justice work, but 
But for us, it was like, we don't need to spend, you know, decades investigating how we were complicit. You know, we're a majority white congregation in a majority black city. And as Quakers, we know we did harm. I mean, uh, William Penn was the first uh, enslaver in Philadelphia. He had connections with Barbados. There were a lot of Quaker slaveholders in Barbados and he brought, he enslaved 12 people and he started the slave trade in Philadelphia. And, and then Quakers want to take credit for signing on to the Germantown Declaration, but actually we did not. We did not sign on to that, that we actually said, oh, this is way too connected to so many parts. We can't come clear to sign on to that. Um, in addition, Quakers were the were inventors of the penitentiary system. When the Walnut Street Jail in Philadelphia was first founded, we were like, oh, people need to be quiet and all by themselves. And so we basically invented solitary confinement with other people, other faith-based people in the city. We, we owe a debt to the city, you know, and also as the original colonizers of the city, there's a deep debt in many, many ways. And so for us, it wasn't after doing all of this uh, anti-racism work and study and thinking about ourselves, it's like, oh yeah, we need to do, we're not even that connected to our black neighbors. We need to do something that's really, that, that really is relational, but also substantive in terms of repair. And so that's how we, how we got to, to where we are. Um, you know, some of us have done our own genealogical studies about our direct complicity. I, mean, I am complicit directly. Um, and, and I think that Quakers have a specific and very important role to play. And the other thing is that in the 60s, uh, and COBRA um, came to Quakers and thought, oh, well, Quakers will be an easier win and asked Quakers for reparations. And no, we were not. We said no. <laughs> so there's a legacy now that's like, no, we got to do it now. And so we're hoping not only that Green Street will do it, but that we'll inspire other Quaker meetings in a very pragmatic way of how to move this forward. As a brown woman who whose people were brutally colonized and had genocide committed to them against them, I have a slightly different path to reparations. But you know, I did grow up in America. I grew up in New York City. I've lived all over the East Coast. And then I decided to make Philadelphia my home and bought a home here and have been putting down roots in Germantown. And joining Green Street and making it my faith community, it became very obvious to me that Quakers, if we are to walk the walk, so to speak, you know, and keep with their moral alignments and the principles that we espouse, reparation is owed and it's owed immediately, <laughs> not just from Green Street, from every single Quaker meeting in this country, because Quakers have benefited from slavery, just like all other white folks in this country have. So there is a debt that is owed and I want to be part of the conversation to make sure it is paid. It is not, you know, being paid to my people. Like I would love for the UK to pay reparations to the subcontinent because that is owed. And I think this is a reparation is a conversation that we are going to have. It is not a conversation that's going to go away, especially for my generation. Like millennials are aware that this is happening. Uh, reparation conversations are happening everywhere and it's going to have to be part of doing right if you're talking about also environmental justice and this um, in this world that we live in with climate change and all of that. So I feel really strongly about reparations. I think you can't properly heal 
until you have done something to undo the hurt that you have caused. Apology is not enough, but you know, most white folks haven't even apologized for <laughs> some of this stuff. So like pay your debts is what I like, you know, I feel very strongly about and Quakers are majority white and I do work for a Quaker organization and I'm also an active Quaker. So it's like pay the debts that are owed, <laughs> you owe them. So time to make repair and it is now. So reparations is a very important thing. And I think I would love, love, love is to see Quakers nationwide make that choice and come to that understanding that to be a Quaker of good faith, it is time to pay reparations. It's been time for 400 years, but let's do it now sooner than later. Yeah, and um, uh, Dave Raglan, who's the co-founder of the Truth Telling Project and the Grassroots Reparations Campaign, says that reparations is the midpoint between truth and reconciliation. So we need to be telling the truth about our history and not hiding that. And like, you know, there's so much a backlash against telling the truth right now. And we also need to be leading to the actions that arise from that. And um, my uh, friend and and um, and and co-conspirator, um, Reverend Naomi Washington Leapart, who's the director of faith-based interfaith affairs, she says, you know, to pretend that there was a relationship that we can, that we can reconcile is not true. And so reparations is actually a way for, you know, white Americans to actually begin to do the work that makes a real relationship possible. Thank you both so much for that. I think that this even just the overall like facts that you gave about Quakers in the beginning, Lucy, I think are very helpful because I think back to sometimes the Facebook groups in Germantown and somebody had shared an old, it was like an old archive of Market Square. And it was like back in like maybe like late 1800s or early 1900s and somebody referenced slavery and they were like, there weren't slaves. Somebody else commented there weren't slaves in Germantown. And I'm like, no, there were like actual slaves in Germantown across the street from where you're referencing. And I don't think that a lot of people know these things. And I think that a lot of these times, like you said, it's like the opposite of truth telling. We keep these things very bottled up. And instead of taking the time to be accountable and taking the time to like tell those truths and taking the time to actually process that and process what that means, people will rather just like swipe it under the rug. So I think that everything both of you have shared was definitely helpful. And I think it's helpful to our listeners for them to understand what this is. Um, and so on Saturday, just really quickly, um, you already touched on it a little bit, but what kind of services will people be able to, you know, receive? So there'll be, um, there'll be, there's different threads that we'll be doing. So there'll be people there taking, doing intake. So we'll be um, listening to folks as they come for services to determine thread and the, and the services that they need. There will be lawyers there. You probably won't finish your case, but you'll at least begin to get some services around if you need, if something is an improbate or if you need to untangle your title or if you need a will, wills are pretty simple to do. Um, so all of those services will be uh, available to folks. Um, and, um, and then, and then people, no matter what, like we've been, we have a form that people can use and sign to, if they want services, uh, that's how we've been have, having people um, sign up for this now. So at the very least, you'll do the full intake so that you'll get in the line for that. Um, and there will be enough people to, to support folks in doing that. We really want lots of folks to show up. 
Um, and, um, and we'll be having this clinic from 10 until two on Saturday. Um, and then we'll be having one in May and one in June. And I don't have the exact dates, but maybe Afroza does. Um, and um, really want people to show up and no matter what, even if we, if we have a long line, we'll still be able to service people, uh, get them in the line for to be served. The dates for the clinics are April 16th, May 21st and June 18th. Um, on June 18th, which will be our last in-person clinic for the year, going forward until we determine what we're going to be doing in the fall. It will also be a Juneteenth celebration. So we're hoping that folks will come and stay. We will probably have like a little, uh, I, I don't know, like a cookout or something. It'll be informal, but it'll be a fun Juneteenth celebration. So hopefully um, neighbors will come out to that as well to celebrate. Sometimes it's also important to like, make sure you're celebrating the good things, you know? And no this is a 10-year project, so we will be continuing this. This is not it. We are going forward for the next 10 years at Green Street with the reparation project. So this will be continuing. I love that. I love to hear that. And is there anything else that y'all both want to share that you think is important? We hope as many neighbors as possible will show up to it. We really want to see Germantown out here. Uh, spread the word to your family and friends who may have some issues with their deeds or titles and um, we will make sure that we we get you on the line to get help you know even if we don't get to it on Saturday you will be helped Nobody like, on the way. thank you Efros. I'd like to also share that we really want people to understand like some people like they set up a reparations fund and they think about it like they have applications and they think about it like charity it is not charity it's direct support it's doesn't there's no like litmus test for folks about it like that's really important and so we also want to inspire other congregations Quaker or not to do this work to figure out what you like some way to figure out what your resources are white majority congregations they owe reparations and um and so that's also why the mayor's commission um is having a campaign and is inviting you know we're trying to get a hundred white majority congregation sincerely engaged in this work. So you can find out about that at the Mayor's Commission, the Mayor's Commission on Faith-Based and Interfaith Affairs site. And we're gonna have, we'll also, we're gonna have a big Juneteenth celebration, um, hopefully at Friends Center on June 20th. So there'll be, there'll be more information for people who wanna do this on their own. And I think on the last note, um, I would like to point out, and I don't know if we have said this already or not, that reparations is not means tested. So there is no application. No one will see if you qualify, so to speak, for this. Reparations is for things that are due. There's a debt that is owed. So you will be helped. There is no means testing. There is no application for you to jump through hoops to get reparations. And if somebody's telling you that that's what they're doing, they're not doing reparations. They're doing charity. And that's a different thing. And the only the only condition we have is that we're we're focused on one nine one three eight and one nine one four four four. So just in, that's the only that's so we so we have some boundaries around what, what it is we're doing. But other than that, come and we'll help you. That sounds good. Well, I really want to thank you both for just being here with us today, and it really has been a pleasure speaking with you. And I'm really just glad that you both got to make some time to inform our neighbors about this work. Um, so thank you again, and please make sure you hit us up in the future for any updates. Um, the Juneteenth celebration sounds like a really good time for folks, and I hope that you both are well and safe, and we'll chat soon. Thank Thanks you so much, Rashid, for this time.
<laughs> Bye. Well, Germantown, it is about that time. If you have a story that you want to hear covered, please contact us at gtown.infohub at gmail.com or text infohub to 73224 to start asking us some questions. And additionally, we encourage our listeners to text the Equally Informed Philly text line, which is another program under Resolve Philly, which allows Philadelphians to gain access to information regarding Philadelphia services. Equally Informed Philly is a direct response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Their team works to bridge the information divide, reducing barriers for vulnerable residents who need trustworthy information to live and thrive in Philadelphia. They also invest deeply in underestimated voices and community storytellers. Equally Informed provides a community-driven print newsletter and the Equal Info line, a free bilingual English and Spanish question and answer texting service that also provides vetted local news and resources to subscribers. To start asking questions there, you can text equal info to 73224. And that's about it. Remember, I am Rashida Jamu, aka Philly's Freedom John. Thank you to our guests for joining us and thank you to our neighbors for listening and engaging as always. And until next time, good night, Germantown. <laughs>